I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, however, we're doing something a little different. We're talking poetry. Specifically, we're talking about the role of New Mexico's Poet Laureate. First, a little history. In 2014, companion memorials in the New Mexico House and Senate requested that the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs develop a, quote, New Mexico Poet Laureate position and program to foster a greater appreciation of the reading and writing of poetry and to highlight the importance of poetry in the everyday life of ordinary and extraordinary people to the creation of the New Mexico Poet Laureate position, end quote. Lack of funding, however, prevented the recommendation from being implemented. Ultimately, SB 536 of the 2019 regular session of the New Mexico legislature signed by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham on April 5th, 2019, allocated $107,000 to the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs for the creation of a State Poet Laureate program. On January 30th, 2020, Albuquerque poet Levi Romero was appointed New Mexico's inaugural Poet Laureate. This made New Mexico the 46th state to offer an official state poet or state writer position. Romero served as New Mexico Poet Laureate until September 1st of this year, when Lauren Camp was named as the state's second Poet Laureate. This week, we're honored to be joined by both Levi and Lauren, who will talk about the role, the importance of poetry in everyday life, and the reward that comes from promoting literacy in the state. First, Levi and Lauren, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Damien. Yeah, thank you for the invite, Damien. And uh, it's great to be uh, here with uh, with Lauren, too. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Levi, as the state's inaugural Poet Laureate, I'd love to start with you. Can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found your way to poetry? Huh. Well, that's a little bit of a long story. And like I always say, in northern New Mexico, we don't have time for a short story. <laughs> but <laughs> but really, and it's in an essay that I wrote uh, a few years ago that was published in an anthology put out by uh, Gary Brower. And I, uh, the Mont Pais Review, I think is what it was called. But um, really how it all started for me was uh, my fascination with uh, none other than the great rock and roll poet, Bob Dylan, oh. and just studying his song lyrics. And I had a cousin who was a musician songwriter in the folk music tradition, uh, Ray Casillas, who uh, was also a radio DJ in Española. And he was uh, really my older brother. He was my cousin, but he, he was more of an older brother. And I just was emulating him and all that he was doing and writing songs. I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. And so I just kept writing uh, rhyming verses, which uh, I didn't even know the word poem or poetry at that time. And none of my teachers seemed to know it either at the junior high where I went. 
to school. So I just called them songs. I didn't call them poems, but I think looking back in terms of the material, you know, the, the themes I was addressing and writing about uh, were really more poems than they were songs. Uh, but it was kind of in that kind of rudimentary style, the rhyming poetry um, that I moved away from later on. And when I started writing freeform poetry years later, when I was living in a an apartment on South 4th Street in Barela's Albuquerque, I didn't have a TV or a radio or anything. And I would come home from work and I would just be writing all the time. And uh, that's kind of how I sort of began to develop, I guess, what you could say, uh, maybe kind of working towards a style of writing that I didn't even really know much about being that I hadn't gone to uh, to college yet at that time and uh, wasn't taking any creative writing classes or anything like that. But I was really ma- mainly writing for myself. And uh, I only had one friend that I would share my writing with because I had found er- out earlier on from my experiences uh, going all the way back to junior high was that it wasn't safe <laughs> to uh, to come out in the open and say that you wrote poetry, you know, um, right. It wasn't a a safe thing for a young Chicano male to be writing poems. And so, um, I became a closet writer and I had one friend that I used to share my work with and he was at a seminary in Mount Angel, Oregon. And so I would mail him my poems and he would write me back. And, uh, it was a wonderful kind of correspondence that we had together. And it wasn't until years later when I finally did, um, go to UNM and was majoring in architecture. And uh, I decided to take a creative writing class. And uh, I wound up taking my first creative writing class with Lucy Tapahanso. You know, you bring up Bob Dylan, and he really is kind of the poet's poet. Certainly, he's got some mainstream appeal as a as a rock and roll artist but lyrically and when you look at things like tarantula you know his book of freeform poetry and you look at songs like desolation row and and things like that it really is poetry set to music yeah absolutely uh and vice versa music set to poetry so i i was just completely in love with that whole way of looking at at the written at written language in the form of expression. Levi, I first met you in 1996 when I was a freshman at UNM. You were giving a Saturday morning reading at Manal School in support of your first book in the Gathering of Silence. And I fell in love with that book and with your poetry. I think that was the first time that I heard Easy Nights and a Pack of Frajos. Would you mind sharing that with us today? Yeah, no, uh, it's been a while since I read that poem. Uh, I used to actually, as you may recall, uh, I do that. I used to do all my poetry just uh, off the, you know, from memory. I didn't read off a page at that time. And this was one of those poems that I used to do with the accompaniment of my brothers on on guitars. But uh, here it is. Easy nights and a pack of frajos. Rosendo used to ride the buses, scoring phone numbers from Rucas. He'd meet at the parque or along Central's bus stops and diners. Three to five numbers a day, Holmes, he'd say. By the end of the week, I'll get lucky with at least one, eh? Maybe she'll have her own canton and I'll drop by with a bottle of wine and some good smoke. Y vámonos, Rezo Carnal. And he'd laugh. 
tilted his head back, taking a long drag from a camel regular. And then he'd look at me and laugh again, saying something like, y este vato. Sometimes I just don't know about you, bro. Well, one night I was down at Jack's shooting pool when the bartender yelled out that there was a phone call for someone whose name sounded like mine. And I was real surprised that it was for me, you know. Well, it was this fine babe from the West Side that I'd met a few weeks before. She said that my roommate had told her that I'd be there. She said she'd been wondering what I'd been doing and how come I hadn't called. She wanted me to go over. I said, great, uh, but I'd like to shoot a few more games of pool, but I'll be there in a while. Not that I was really interested in pool anymore, but hey, I couldn't let on like I didn't ever get those kind of calls, you know, not like those vatos down at Tito's with tattoos and dead aim stairs did, leaning back against the wall, flirting with some ruka over the phone, laughing and teasing while the jukebox plays Sam Cooke and me sitting there watching and wondering where I went wrong going right. I asked her if there was anything she'd like for me to bring over, some wine maybe, and she says, yeah, that sounds good, and could you bring some cigarettes too? So a while later, there I was, going down the street, being all trushas for the huda, because I didn't want nothing to ruin that movida, you know? Well, I pulled into the Casa Grande and asked for a bottle of Easy Nights and a pack of frajos. And I sat looking through the drive-up window at the naked pinup girls on the wall, and I started thinking of home so far away, and how oftentimes I had nowhere to go, wishing I knew some nice girl I could drop by to visit and watch a Mona with or just to sit and talk to. It was a rainy night, a beautiful rainy night, and the streets were all black and wet, neon lights reflecting off of everything and running down the street in streams of color. And I thought of Rosendo and how he was going to laugh. And I knew he was going to want to know everything. Orale, serio, chale, you're driving homes. No, serio, Rosendo. Her name's Carmela. Serio Holmes. Yeah, no, ya de veras. Y este vato. Then I saw myself in the rearview mirror and I had to start laughing because, hey, sometimes even I just don't know about you, bro. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Levi. I want to talk to you a little bit about being a closeted poet. When did you when did you feel like you could start sharing your poetry? And when you you know, there's an entire genre, um, certainly now of of Chicano poetry. And what like how how do you view that? What does that term mean to you? Well, um, first, I'd like to go back to to the poem that I just read, and it, I think it kind of addresses some of the questions that you're posing. Um, first of all, 
that poem, uh, as you can tell, is written in a very Calo Street Chicano Pachuquism language. <laughs> one which, one thing um, I, I want to jump in real fast and say when when you read the line "A fine babe from the West Side," that meant something very different in uh, nineteen ninety six or ninety five or ninety four when you wrote it than it might mean right now. You know, so it's kind of well, funny. Everything, every, every, everything meant something different back in '96 than it does right now. Sure, uh, including uh, the language that I use in that poem and the perspectives that I'm writing about, uh, and and the perspectives where I'm writing from. But that poem and the language really was a language that I didn't know that I could write like that until I read the poetry of Raúl Salinas and José Montoya. Yeah, their poems, uh, Montoya's El Louis and Salinas says, Un Trip Through the Mind Jail. And those were uh, really their landmark Chicano poems. But for me, they were uh, landmark poems personally, because it was the first time that I saw that kind of language in a textbook and an anthology. And before that, it was always like what I termed the high school poets, Frost Whitman, Dickinson, Stevens poetry. And so for somebody who had grown up around Vatos Locos and that whole kind of lifestyle that is really nothing but pure poetry, nothing but pure lived poetry, to see it on the page uh, is 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 just something that I had never experienced before. Yeah, and, so and, and it Frost. Itself to the craft, right? And but, Frost may not resonate with you growing up in Dixon the same way that Salinas does. Oh, no, it certainly did. Uh, and Montoya's too, but uh, go, moving forward a few years from that, you know, uh, Jimmy Baca wasn't really uh, very prominent yet, and uh, neither were uh, writers like Sandra Cisneros or Ana Castillo. And so um, for me, the poets that I really um, lean towards in terms of the way they use narrative and vernacular language uh, in poetry were Native American poets like Simon Ortiz and Lucy Tapahanso and Nora Naranjo Morse, for example. And those were the poets that really influenced me more than the Chicano poets that I come to read later. And and and, uh, and where Chicano poetry is now, what's really great about it is that there's so much of it and there could always be more, uh, but that uh, it's not something that it's so unique that you have to uh, look under rocks to find it, you know. And of course, I greatly credit the 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 youth of poetry, especially the the slam poetry movement and the spoken word movements uh, around Albuquerque for sure and throughout New Mexico for creating a space where it's safe uh, and inviting for young Chicana and Chicano poets to come and share their work, uh, so that they're not closet poets until they're twenty five years old, like I was. Yeah. And going back to my time there, I think about slam poets like uh, Danny Solis and uh, Don MacGyver, who were doing readings at Burt's Tiki Lounge and, and places like that around the city, coffee shops, RB Winnings, places like that, and really kind of making poetry a cool thing to write, but a cool thing to be a part of. I want to turn to your appointment as the state's first poet laureate. What was that experience like for you? Well, to start off with, it was very intimidating uh, because <laughs> I have such high regard for all the poets in New Mexico. And um, 
to be chosen as the inaugural New Mexico State Poet Laureate was pretty daunting. And but what I and then of course also just in thinking like uh, you know well how how am I going to be viewed by the poetry community? And there's multiple you know numerous poetry communities throughout the state. And so I mean of course it was like you know it was quite an honor, but it was also um, how how do I represent so many poets? across the state but what i found and right from the beginning and early on was just like there was nothing but pure love from people for me uh in terms of that position and so that made it such a wonderful experience right from the get-go that i think i kind of fell into it with a certain kind of grace that i that that i mean that that's not even something that you can design yourself i mean you 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 and i think lauren is going to be great to to fill us in on how she's um uh, doing with uh the poet laureate position now but for me it was just like there was nothing to follow and 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 so i just kind of fell into it but thankfully it was through the graces of all the good people and 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 their blessings upon what um uh, upon me and 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 the task that was beforehand so uh it, it was great in that way Right. There was there was no roadmap. There's no blueprint. Last year, you read a poem called A Poetry of Remembrance to open the 2021 legislative session. Was that poem written specifically for the occasion? No, uh, it wasn't. Uh, That came from my collection, A A Poetry of Remembrance, New and Rejected Works is the title of that collection. Um, and then the year before that, for the inauguration, I read another poem, and that one is titled Of Dust and Bone. And those interested, I should point out, can find that poem on our website. Thanks, by the way, Levi, for giving us permission to publish it. I'll include a link to a poetry of remembrance in our show notes. Absolutely, for sure. If you're just tuning in, we're talking poetry with New Mexico's poet laureates, both of them. Our first poet laureate, Levi Romero, and his recently announced successor, Lauren Camp, who took over the role on September 1st. Now, I want to turn to Lauren. Do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and how you came to fall in love with New Mexico? I will. Um, It was so fascinating to hear Levi talk about his start because in some ways his beginning with poetry is entirely different from mine but there are points of resonance that for for our very different settings really the overlap is astounding so i grew up in the suburbs of new york city I also had no understanding of poetry i had nobody who ever used that word that i can remember I had certainly had poems around me. I had things that that everybody knows from Dr. Seuss to Shel Silverstein. My mother used to read and uh, what uh, an Indiana poet that I didn't I, I didn't know at the time anything about him, James Whitcomb Riley, but all these rhyming poems, there was Shakespeare, there was there were the either the lowbrow or the very highbrow poems and nothing else, no way that I could find really myself in something of that, uh, what I would now call a genre. 
so um, my entrance into poetry is through instead of song like Levi, it's it's really much more through artwork. I came to New Mexico in 1994 on a whim, very much. Uh, I was living at the time in on the Berkeley, Oakland, California border and decided I needed to go somewhere else and experience something else. And I'd never been to the Southwest. So with the person I ended up marrying and I'm still married to, we quit our jobs, put everything in storage and went on a two month camping trip through the Southwest and landed in uh, in the house and on, on the land that we still live on. We bought our home very fast with no income and no, no, no jobs and no anything, uh, knowing truly nothing about New Mexico, except that it felt right. And it all these years later feels right and continues to feel like a beautiful, perfect, lucky choice to be here and to get to call this state and um, this part of the country home. But I came here and I was making visual art. My medium was fiber. And so that meant I was putting colors and textures and patterns together and seeing how I could build a kind of um, a composition, I guess, that was a little unexpected. And at the same time I started, or around that same time, I started volunteering for the local public radio stations uh, KUNM in Albuquerque and then KSFR in Santa Fe. And I would began putting music together, uh, DJing shows and sort of finding segues between different songs and th then throwing poetry into the mix. Uh, poems that I found by contemporary poets for the most part that I loved and just sort of sliding them in around the music, between the music. So those two, visual art and uh, and music, jazz specifically, were my entrance into poetry, though I imagine that doesn't seem perfectly clear to an outer uh, outer audience. And at the time, I assume you didn't see yourself as a poet. No, not at all. When did that transition happen? Um, yeah, there was there. I mean, it was hard enough to be able to say I was an artist. Uh, for a long time. <laughs> but that goes um, back to what Levi was saying about identifying as a poet. Absolutely. And um, so the way that the that poetry as a uh, as a label, I guess, entered my world was I was exhibiting my visual art as uh, I had one specific series that was traveling around the country. And it was uh, these large wall hanging fiber portraits of jazz musicians and jazz instruments. And they were going around the country as a solo show and uh, over a four year period, an exhibit that we put together and felt very proud of being able to get it out on the road. At one of the venues in Kentucky, somebody came up to me at the opening and said, I know you made the artwork, who wrote the poems? And I looked around the room and it was all my artwork. There was nobody else, no other artwork in the room. And I said, there aren't any poems here. And that, uh, that visitor, that viewer took me around and pointed out the wall text by piece after piece of mine saying, this is a poem, this is a poem, this is a poem. Huh. 
Yeah, that was my feeling too. So and that, that, that was kind of your wake up, you know, where you it, said, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm a poet too. Well, no, it was, I mean, I, I wasn't that swift. It was more like I came back to New Mexico and said, well, so what is a poem then? I thought poems were rhyming. I thought poems were impossible to understand and nothing else. And um, and meanwhile, I had been writing what intuitively felt right to me in describing the artwork or in sort of being artwork adjacent, I guess would be the term now, not really describing what I had done, but adding something to the artwork. So I came back to, to Santa Fe and started trying to figure out well, what is poetry then? And how can I learn more about it? And how did you? I overheard a friend mention that she was in a poetry writing group. And I went up to her and said, was more an acquaintance, now a friend. And I went up to her and said, can I be in that group? And she said, no, that group is closed, but you can be in this other group that is open. And so I started going to these they were every week or every other week. I can't quite remember uh, meetings at someone's home and we would have snacks and chocolate. And really it made poetry seem so wonderful and communal. And, and then we would just write. And there were people who were helping direct that with little phrases or conversation. And so I, I sort of fell into it. And then I had to figure out how to balance the two artwork and poetry, because there wasn't enough time to do both. And they're very different. And I want you to keep both of those two things in your mind. When I ask you this next question, you've said that New Mexico has helped you blossom into your creative expression. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yes, I um, so I grew up in the suburbs. I had expected as a young girl, I guess, to move to New York City. It is pretty much what everybody in New York expects to do. Uh, there's not a, a, a wider frame of reference, really, than you're going to go to the city and live there and that's going to be your adult life. But I didn't do that. I didn't. I didn't ultimately want to do that. I moved further and further away from urban areas. And in a way, I, I moved to Boston, then I moved to San Francisco, and then I and then I moved to New Mexico and I fell in love with open spaces, with more rural, more uh even in some cases barren spaces. Those are some of my favorites. And the light and the spaciousness and the skies and the open space to think and dream and do something that wasn't already done, or at least for all I knew, it might have been done, but I didn't know it. So I could experiment both first in visual art and then in poetry. I wasn't following anyone. I'm a terrible follower. Um, I, I like to take little bits of ideas from all over the place and blend them together, but I don't like to make what's been made. I like to make something that I haven't seen before. And, and the only way I can do that is to not take direction from anyone else. Very <laughs> <totally>. <laughs> Lauren, you've also said 
I also want to encourage the poetic voice of New Mexico residents, especially those who don't know that a poem can reflect their own story. And again, that kind of goes back to what Levi was saying. And I really love that. I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you hope to do that. I feel very strongly that poetry can be for anybody, whether that means they can write it or they can find themselves in a poem, either one of those or maybe both. But I feel like poetry as a as a form and a genre and a community has welcomed me so fully for being forgetting to be creative and write it and express not just myself, but others and viewpoints and perspectives that are even outside of outside of me. And I want other people to be able to do that. I actually find my story infinitely less interesting than virtually anybody else's. <laughs> I, believe, I believe in people and I, I'm interested in people. And so when I'm teaching, especially, it's so easy for me to say to an individual or to a class, tell me about you, your stories, your story is interesting, your story matters. And I think that's what poetry lets people do in a way that is not formulaic, that is not tell us where you were born, tell us, you know, how many siblings you have. All of that information might come into a story or a poem, but it doesn't have to come in the same way for each person. And Levi, I want to bring you back in real quickly to just say that if somebody had said that to you earlier, either in middle school or uh, in high school, what would that have meant to you and how would that have fostered your your interest in poetry? Well, actually, I was fortunate that in high school I had an amazing English teacher uh, by the name of Mrs. Rutassel who uh, I write about in my poem, High School English, and I credit her for being sort of a, really like my first audience. Uh, she was the one who I felt safe in sharing my work with. But I think that for me, uh, the process of writing from a space in which it was completely isolated and um, one in which um, sheltered me, that I think that's the, where the strength of my poetry really uh, was able to to find its space and its structure. I don't know what it would have been like if I had uh, a community of support that was wider than and bigger beyond than uh, one high school English teacher. I think it would have it would have been entirely different. While I like to create those kinds of spaces for as many people as possible, I don't uh, regret that for me, it was a different kind of process and methodology that I followed. Lauren, do you have a, a poem that you could share with our listeners today? Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, and and I want to say something to what Levi just said, because I think about that a lot. I had nobody I shared any of my creative work with, art or poetry, for the longest time. I I was a very, very crafty, creative little kid. And nobody, nobody really cared about that or paid attention to that. And nobody stopped me either. But I think about that often because it was, I think for me, very valuable because it meant I was only creating for myself and I didn't have to think about or worry about an audience. 
so to um for a poem i i had different things picked but i think i'm gonna read i think i'm gonna read a poem that i wrote I, i've gone back and forth because of levi's choice of poem but i think i'm gonna <laughs> read a new mexico poem that isn't very long and it's it's from about a year ago and it sort of takes into account this these times which i think of as very complicated it's called rocky ground before we do what we have to do, the dishes, the folding of laundry, I offer to wreck you with what I know now, which is impractical new buds on the succulents, the contraptions of petals they've grown. Before we do what we need to do, the tending of worry, the garbage, the leftover grief, I remind you the mid-air billow of milkweed from summer's lush mouth. Before we return to deadlines and details, our humanity neatly boxed up, turn to whatever my friend Joan calls impending doom. I offer you the fire wheels, straight sunning ruby and snow angel blossoms wide open as hearts. Let's watch the muzzles of insects at each flower bell having parted the curtains to reach what they need. This moment, that's what we have to stop heartbreak. Inward brimming light, the day sounds and tulips inverted hats, nothing to fail at. Everything is wind rivulet and small graces and paired doves with their mothering tones. Now is a matter of spirit without sorrow. Now is feather and branches, seeds again, in this pine-throated sphere, now where I live. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, that was wonderful. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit about passing the torch. Levi, you were on the committee that selected Lauren as your replacement, right? Uh, yes. What advice would you have for her or what could you offer her as she as she takes on this new role? Well, I think the first advice that I would give Lauren and, and we've talked a little bit before, but um, I guess uh, is really to take advantage of where we are now uh, post pandemic and hopefully we are past it which is something that, uh, of course, during my tenure, we had to rely on gatherings on Zoom. And she's got this wonderful space over at the State Library, the the Poets Room. And I think that I would really like to see how that space can be utilized uh, for workshops and gatherings of poets and poetry, and really just to celebrate uh, what it is to be a a a poet laureate uh, in terms of being able to connect with community in person and traveling across the state and, uh, you know, uh, engaging with other poets and readings and things of that sort, which I was not able to do, but uh, right. that's uh, really the advice that I would give her. And uh, she's going to be great. Lauren, how does that resonate with you? 
That's lovely advice. And uh, I intend to take it. But I also want to say that I'm hoping to bring because I want to bring poetry to people who don't necessarily know they can find themselves in a poem. I also want to connect with organizations that have other interests. So that might be the arts uh, in other forms of the arts, the sciences, um, edu- different education, environmental organizations that would allow poetry to be part of one of their offerings, some of their offerings, so that we can widen the audience for poetry through that, through an, an event perhaps, but also so that they can, uh, the people who are there for the art event or the environmental lecture or whatever it is, could also get a little poetry in their, um, in their time. And so I'm look, I'm going to be looking for and open to and welcome, welcoming ideas for bringing poetry to the unlikely spaces. Lauren, you recently had a couple of poems published by Inkwell Journal, right? You've published a lot. Do you still get a rush when your poetry finds a new audience? I think for a poet, I think for a writer in general, audience is is sort of critical to completing the circle of the writing of the poem. That somebody, however big the audience is, whether it's one person or a hundred, that somebody or more, um, ideally, that somebody reacts to it, sees themselves in it or says, thank you. This opens a new way for me to see this particular situation or emotion. Uh, So, yeah, I do. Levi, same question. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better. I really love what Lauren said about the the full circle of a poem coming to life, really, with, um, you know, it being able to be viewed by others uh, and shared with others, taking it from, again, that very intimate space and being able to put it out there uh, in which other people can connect with it and see that they, too, can also express themselves in a similar way. Um, I think uh, Lauren just said it really beautifully, just that full circle of of the poem itself and how, you know, how it's always so gratifying to to see that whether it's an audience of one or one of a hundred or more, as she said, uh, that is really kind of like what brings the, the poem and its breath, you know, that's where it breathes again. It's like comes into the world. And uh, I think that we all feel that as artists, uh, whether we're musicians or painters or poets uh, or craftsmen, whatever it is that we do that gives life to something, it's not until it's appreciated by somebody else that is really when it takes its first breath. Kind of that first spank on the baby's bottom, huh? Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> what do either of you want to add that we haven't discussed yet? Levi, let's start with you. I just, uh, I mean... I really wasn't thinking what I wanted to add, but I just uh, think that uh, thank you, Damien, for creating a space like this where we can come together uh, from so many distances apart and come together in a conversation that is really about how we can do something for uh, for others through the craft that um, that really for me has saved my own life, which is poetry. Yeah, I think it's important. And and I don't think that we talk about the the role that arts plays in that enough. And even through the pandemic, you know, the, a lot of times we're kind of locked up in our own homes with our own books. And that has been a way that 
we've been able to get through it. Yes, exactly. And now uh, we're able to go out and uh, I've gone to a few open mic readings here in Albuquerque and it's just wonderful. It's just really great. It's healing and it's nurturing. But in the absence of that, occasions like this also bring that healing and that nurturing that is so badly needed. Sure. Lauren? Yeah, I agree. And I think um, the two words I want to add into the conversation are poetry is a gift. And I think poetry is also a freedom. There isn't a right way or a wrong way to write a poem. I came to poetry, as I said, through visual art. But before that, I came through a career in writing as a as a magazine writer and editor. And there was a right way to do those things. With poetry, it's your way. It's each person's way. And that's it's a it's it's a gift to get to write it that way in whatever way is unique and individual to you. But it's also a gift to give it to somebody. And that's that breath Levi was talking about, that that completion of of the writing of the poem, the gifting of it to someone else who might need it, either to make them feel better or to make them feel seen or whatever. So I just want to add those two words into this. Yeah. And I think that that you know, as a, as a young college kid, that's certainly what connected me. That New Mexican experience is certainly what connected me with Levi's poetry and actually may have been the entree. You know, I later came to, to know the poetry of Ana Castillo and Sandra Cisneros and Pat Mora and Raul Salinas and all of those other Chicano poets, but Levi's poetry was the first that I ever heard and ever read that kind of told my story growing up in New Mexico. It's amazing how every person has a story like that of a poem or a poet, but usually it's a a poem that opens opens them to the ability to say, oh, that's me, or oh, I could do this. I love those stories. And I don't think that I took a poetry class until after I had read Levi. So maybe uh, <laughs> maybe in some ways you're to blame, Levi. Well, that's great. I've been blamed <laughs> for other things. And I'll, I'll take the blame for that. <laughs> Uh, thank you both so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate it. And I think it's an, uh, like you, like you said, I think it's an, an important conversation to be had. Thank you. This has been absolutely lovely. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, good luck and everything, Lauren. And, uh, I hope to see you soon. That sounds great, Levi. I can't wait. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A big thanks goes out to Levi Romero and Lauren Camp for joining us this week. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. 
You can also find all of our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.